What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, zeroing in on Georgia, CNBC's Eamon Javers on the presidential phone call heard around the world. This is an extraordinary moment as the president uh, trying to pressure those Georgia officials to overturn the existing results of the election. And Axios co-founder Jim Vandehei on the state's imminent runoff elections. The stakes of this are, are really tremendous. If the Republican Party is sitting here and has no control in the House, no control the Senate lost the presidency. That's about the best possible position you could possibly imagine in the Democratic Party. As Americans line up for the coronavirus vaccine, Dr. Scott Gottlieb raises concerns about supply. For some reason, somewhere, there's 35 million doses sitting on a shelf for various reasons. Another year, another round of resolutions. WW CEO Mindy Grossman says this year especially, she's ready for new members. People realize that their health is the most important thing, especially now that we've experienced COVID. It's Monday, January 4th, 2021, our first pod of the new year. Life's too short. I can't take it. I can't take it. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC in, uh, in the year 2021. In the year, uh, no, that was different. Uh, uh, I don't think we're quite there yet. Three Dog Night, wasn't it? I'm Joe Kernan. Uh, along with Becky Quick, or no, was it, I, no, it wasn't three done. I, well, I'm gonna find out. Anyway, Andrew Ross Sorkin uh, is is back. Where were you? You you okay? You around? You hunkering down? You? Uh... I was around. I, I I wish I could tell you I went to some exotic place, but I was uh, having the equivalent of what so many Americans uh, had, which was I, we call it a staycation. I think is the phrase. I'm these disappointed. Days. We, the we went back and forth. The pandemic staycation. My guess was St. Bart's. That's where all people like, like you know, people that can go yeah. to St. Bart's around New Year's, don't they, for the, the time between Christmas. This is the first year you didn't go, I think, right? This is, I, I've actually never been to St. Bart's, but oh. I'd, uh, I'd like to go. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, yeah, we were, we, were, we were hanging with the family at home, and uh, it was it was. You, you know, I had a total... Wi-Fi meltdown last Thursday when I was supposed to do halftime report. My Luxol router melted down. It was out right. for, four, for 48 hours. There was almost, in my house, there was almost, I mean, the, the, the amount of angst. Up and uh, I, I, I found myself saying, I wish they never invented Wi-Fi. I do. I wish they'd never, with, because when it was gone, life was so empty. Uh, that we didn't really think we could, uh, we, we could make it. It's unbelievable. No, ne- no, no Netflix. Anyway, it's all fixed now. First up today on the podcast, it's back to work for many after the long holiday weekend. And it's the first trading day of 2021 for investors here in the U.S. And most of them are hoping one thing from 2020 lives on to the new year, 
sustained market gains that seem to be on another planet from the rest of the news cycle. The broadest measure of U.S. equities, the S&P 500, ended the year up 68% from the lows in March when virus fears trimmed about a third of the value off the index. Wall Street kicks off 2021 with two major political events on the calendar. Tomorrow's two runoff elections in Georgia that will determine the balance of power in the U.S. Senate and Wednesday's congressional certification of the Electoral College vote for president. Here's Andrew. Just days ago uh, of the Georgia runoff election, President uh, Trump urging Georgia's secretary of state to overturn the November election results that delivered the state to president-elect Biden. Eamon Jabbers joins us with the story that everybody's talking about this morning. Eamon. Yeah, good morning, Andrew. We've never seen anything like this in U.S. history. A sitting president of the United States defeated in the general election on the phone with state election officials uh, trying to urge them to overturn the election results. Those state officials holding fast, telling the president of the United States that in the state of Georgia, he simply has his facts wrong and they don't see a, any clear path for him to win the election there. <clears throat> Remember, the Georgia election has been certified. The Electoral College has voted. And this week, Congress will certify the election for Joe Biden. So this is an extraordinary moment as the president uh, trying to pressure those Georgia officials to overturn the existing results of the election. All of that caught on tape. The Washington Post broke the story initially. NBC News has also obtained a tape of the phone call. And here's what the president said. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more that we have, because we won the state, and flipping the state is a great testament to our country. All of that making for a chaotic start to what should be a dramatic week here in Washington, Andrew. We've got both the president and the president-elect today. They'll be down in Georgia campaigning. Remember, there's that runoff election tomorrow. Two Republican senators on the ballot, control of the United States Senate on the ballot. Enormous amounts of energy and fundraising and attention have gone into that Georgia runoff race. And we'll see uh, on Tuesday whether Republicans can control the Senate in the Biden era or whether Democrats uh, will have an opportunity uh, to nominate, to move their nominations through a Democratic Senate, move their, their legislation through a Democratic Senate. And then, of course, on Wednesday, January 6th, we're going to have the certification of the election results by Congress, the Electoral College results officially counted in the House chamber. And we're seeing this fascinating moment now where a large group of Republican senators are saying they're going to object to the Electoral College votes that have been certified by the states. That's not expected to succeed. It is expected uh, to cause a significant delay, depending on how they execute the maneuver. Uh, these Republican senators are going to protest the Electoral College itself uh, and the election itself and say they don't think that the uh, election in November was valid. Interestingly, a number of Republicans declining to go along with that effort, including Mitch McConnell, uh, who urged his Republican colleagues not to do that. And last night we got a statement from Tom Cotton, a conservative senator from Arkansas uh, who has been a Trump ally throughout Cotton saying the founding fathers envisioned a process in which the states control elections uh, and Congress should not overturn the Electoral College because that would effectively uh, end presidential elections in this country. That would mean that Congress would simply decide who gets to be the next president of the United States, and it should be a state, not a federal decision, Cotton says. So a dramatic week ahead, Andrew, here in Washington, D.C. Eamon, what do you think the implications are of the Trump tape 
uh, matched with the these 11 uh, Republican senators, I think now arguably led by Hawley or Cruz uh, to to upend the the, the the certification. What does that mean, do you think, to this runoff in Georgia, which is also important? Well, I mean, in, in terms of the senators who are supporting this effort to object to the Electoral College, they're sort of they put their marker down. Uh, now, this tape gives them if, if they have any you know qualms about it. This tape gives them sort of a political off ramp. They can say, whoa, that's not what I signed up for. Uh, I don't see that happening, uh, but it's certainly a political possibility that you've got to look for here. Uh, and all of those senators are now going to be asked to defend the president's conduct on that tape. And you haven't heard really any defense right. of the president's conduct. Uh, but on what, that what tape do you think it does to now the, the vote? question is, what do you think it does to the yeah. to the vote in Georgia, to the vote? David Perdue has come out publicly, I believe, in support of this group, for example. Yep. Well, look, if you look at what the president said on the tape about the vote in Georgia. The president's talking about Georgia Republican voters as very much his own people. He's talking about Republican voters who are angry at the Republican establishment in Georgia, who are frustrated about uh, the president's loss. And he, he seems to be indicating that he will wield those voters depending on how the Georgia Secretary of State rules in his own election. So it, the, the implication from the president seemed to be, I'm going to Tell those voters to sit on their hands here and not elect two more Republicans unless you move forward with what I'm asking in terms of finding, you know, magically 11,000 plus new votes. So all eyes are really going to be on the president uh, today in Georgia. What is his message going to be to hardcore Trump Republicans in the state of Georgia? Is he going to tell them to vote? Is he going to tell them to sit at home? Is he going to tell them elections are rigged and unwinnable? Is he going to tell them that their Republican leadership is unreliable? I mean, the, the president is a real wild card here. Uh, and given his mood and, and what he's been doing over the past couple of days, uh, just about anything is possible, including the president sabotaging his own Republican uh, Senate candidates in Georgia. Fascinating. Uh, Amy Javers, appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. Join us now, Tim Vandenheim. He is the co-founder and CEO of Axios. What are the latest uh, either predicted betting sites or the latest uh, poll averages indicating uh, now, Jim, for, for the, the runoffs tomorrow, whatever you want to call them, special election. Happy New Year. Uh, there's very little polling, uh, to, uh, public polling, especially uh, in these Georgia special races. So it's I, I, polling, I don't think is a great indicator. Don't know if I even love the betting markets. I think what I really trust are the operatives on the ground. And I'll tell you, Republicans are a lot more worried today than they were three weeks ago. And Democrats, uh, on the other side, feel a lot more optimistic. The reason being is if you go back to those Senate races the first time around, you look at the presidential race, they were razor thin. And so it is authentically in Georgia, a toss up state. And so mobilization of voters, being focused, having money really matters on the margins. And that's why Democrats feel like they've been able to be more unified. They've been able to benefit from the fact that Donald Trump doesn't accept the election results, has been very critical of the leadership uh, in the state of Georgia, Republicans who work close to him. And there's a skepticism among Republicans about voting in general, nationally, and in Georgia, and the worry for Republicans is, what if 100,000 of those people say the hell with it? I'm just not going to vote because I don't trust the process because the president's telling me that the whole thing is rigged and that these voting machines can't be trusted. And so my guess is we're not going to have a clue maybe for several days as they count the votes. It'll be that close. Most races in recent history in Georgia have been. But if you're just reading the moods and reading the mindset of the operatives on the ground, Democrats feel a little bit better than Republicans.
the Trump effect is cutting both ways, which is kind of weird. Because the Republican voters aren't all the same, obviously. Some Republican voters probably aren't aren't happy with what the president uh, has been doing. And and then others could be disenfranchised because they don't think that that these politicians have done enough to take President Trump's side. So uh, you you could have 180-degree feelings in the same party. With, with Republicans out in Georgia. And neither one of them good for Republicans, unfortunately, or, or neither for, good. for Republicans. Yeah, that's the important point. Like, you want Republicans motivated, wanting to vote, rallying around the idea that they don't want two more Democrats in the Senate, which would give Joe Biden a Democratic Senate, even if it's by a very narrow majority. That is the message that probably would have won this for Republicans had they been able to be unified. And obviously, they still can win it. But if they lose, it's going to be because of those divisions. Uh, you got to look at states like Georgia now as authentically 50-50 states, like places that either party could win. And when you get it on the margins, then the mechanics of politics matter tremendously. That's when organization and get out the vote stuff, stuff that's kind of boring and eye-rolling, matters tremendously. And that's where it looks like Democrats have been able to spend more time focused on that as opposed to getting tied up in a debate about whether or not uh, the, the election results in Georgia were valid the first time around. Right. Jim, the, I mentioned the betting sites because the individual races uh, have narrowed and even flipped uh, depending on, on where you look. I don't know if there's any volume, though, really, on predicted. Um, but then you look at, at, at whether the Senate stays Republican, and that's still 60-40 uh, that it does. So it's almost like, you know, each individual race on predicted, I think, might, might indicate that the Democrats have made, have made ground. But I guess it's the likelihood of taking both seats that is still hard uh, for betting people uh, to embrace at this point. You know what I'm saying? It's still 60-40 that it stays Republican. How is that if, both, if they're down in both uh, races? On the betting side, uh, the hell out of me. The math doesn't work on that one because if they lose both, uh, if they if Democrats win both seats, they win control of That's the right. Senate. Hard for me, hard to see winning one, losing the other, given that it's been so nationalized. Look at the amount of money that Democrats are raising in that state. Something people haven't paid that much attention to. When you're raising a hundred million dollars in a couple of months, it's unheard of. Presidential candidates. I used to dream of raising that much money. Now you're doing it in a couple of months, and it's because it's been so nationalized, because people see, obviously, the stakes of having Mitch McConnell as majority leader uh, or not. And that has to be the fear for Republicans. It's why Mitch McConnell's so spooled up about some of the things that Donald Trump's doing, because he understands that if he doesn't have the power of being majority leader to set the agenda, uh, that that Democrats will be able to do more than they otherwise could do. And so the stakes of this are, are really tremendous. If a Republican Party is sitting here and has no control in the House, no control in the Senate, lost the presidency, uh, that's about the best possible position you could possibly yeah. imagine in the Democratic Party, even if conservatives still control the courts and have had a lot of success at the state level. The federal level, that was what Democrats wanted going into the election. And if Republicans don't get it right uh, in the next 24 hours, that, that's what they're going to get. So, Jim, are, at Axios, are you going to miss, miss the pants on fire moments? That uh, here's, the, here's the cover of the New York Times. That Carl Bernstein uh, said, this, is, this, phone, this one, now this one is so much worse than Watergate. Carl has said, I think that's like the 16th or 17th thing that's been worse than Watergate that Carl uh, decided on. But 
Um, and then in the journal, the journal characteristically has been all over Trump. I mean, they've been really negative on, on Trump's efforts. But they, they this, I thought this was kind of funny. They say the last two elections have ruined Americans' faith uh, in the electoral process because in 2016, Democrats abused the FBI for the collusion story and Hillary still hasn't accepted Trump's legitimacy. So they go back, they, they say it's not just this time, it's last time. Are you going to miss all this? I mean, it's only going to be one more week of where you've got these things that are going to end democracy as we know them, theoretically. Is, you only got another week of that. Are you worried about Axios? I think our health and our brains will benefit from thinking about things other than just politics moment by moment. There is, you know, so all the time, there's huge things happening in robotics and AI in China and science, things Biotech. that are really, it's, it's amazing. Those it's amazing. amazing. And you know what else in streaming in content. And once the vaccine gets done, think of the, the, uh, the content we're going to, we could all use a little bit of the, I mean, really it has been every week. Pants on fire every week, Jim, for, for four years. No, not every week, every, every day, just about. Yeah, and I think that politics, I think all of us will benefit. It's funny, before we did Axios, we did Politico, and I say now people need to pay attention less to politics. I think we're all consuming way too much of it because there's big things that are happening underneath us that really do warrant a lot more uh, public attention and a lot more debate. Uh, you talk about vaccine, you talk about distribution, that goes to the technology that undergirds your government. It goes to our capacity to be able to mobilize business, mobilize people when there are actual catastrophes or crises that require smart people in positions of power to do the right thing. We haven't even talked hardly at all in the last couple of years, other than at a very high level, about what do you do with technology when you have companies that are bigger and more powerful than anything we've ever imagined in the history of humanity, yet there's not a lot of rules of the road that have been put around them. How do you start to think about that as a, a country? How do you think about that through the lens of governance? And my hope is, my wish is, is that those are the things that people start to pay more attention to, because I do think they will be much more Im important in shaping how you and I and our kids live 10, 20, 30 years from now. You have, you think eight points, do you think that that Alabama should really be an eight-point favorite? I don't know. Ohio State looked uh, darn good. And uh, What about I Ohio State? Was, what about Ohio State? You were predicting that? Great blessings in the last uh, couple months. <laughs> I could not believe what, uh, what, what Ohio State did. Uh, you think it had anything to do with uh, Sweeney saying that they should be 11th? Did you see that? In his ranking, uh, I bet you wish he hadn't said that. Anyway, <laughs> thank you. See, these are the things I want to move on to, Jim. That's what, that's what I said. I know it's frivolous, but uh, I can't. Life's too short. I can't take it. I can't take it. Anyway, thank you. I'll be your therapist. <laughs> you just were. Next on Squawk Pod, who is getting the COVID shots? Former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb says he's concerned about the vaccine rollout and federal supply. You need to stockpile something if you want to make sure there's a smooth transition to the second doses. But putting away 50% of all the doses, I think, is denying more people access to a vaccine. We'll be right back. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. 
This is Squawk Pod from CNBC. Here's Joe Kernan. U.S. is uh, is considering a major change to the rollout of the vaccine to help speed it up the pace of it. The uh, the head of the Operation Warp Speed, Monsef Slowy, told CBS yesterday that they were considering giving two half-volume doses of the Moderna vaccine to some people. He said, for people between the ages of 18 and 55, a half-dose induces identical immune response. So he said that they're in discussions with Moderna and the FDA, and it will uh, be the FDA's decision. Dr. Anthony Fauci said stretching the vaccines is the right solution to the wrong problem. He said, we have the vaccine, but we're just not getting it into the people's arms fast enough. So what I'm saying right now is that A, we're not where we want to be. We've got to do much better. But B, let's give it about a week or two into January to see if we can Mm -hmm. pick up momentum that was slowed down by the holiday season. So again, no excuses. We're not where we want to be. But hopefully we'll pick up some momentum and get back to where we want to be with regard to getting it into people's arms. You know, whenever we talk about doses, Pfizer doses, Moderna doses, we always we always say, so you, you could do this many people because we've got to divide it in two because you need two of them. So this, this would suddenly it would be whatever the number of doses you have would be the number of people right. that you could do. So that would be that would be uh, really good. And, and then I I wish we'd get it together statewide and federal wise. Do you see Israel? Half the people that need the, the vulnerable people right. have already gotten it. They're, they've already. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they got the Mossad. Well, that's the thing that makes that's crazy to me because it's it. This is a state issue, and it's yeah. really just about that. Not enough people have it on their own. Ten, New York, it's about ten percent, and other places, ten percent, fifteen percent, in terms of what's available, even rolling out. I know people who are planning to fly to Florida, where, by the way, th- there is not the same kind of quote unquote line. Meaning, I believe if you're over sixty-five, you can go to a doctor and get it. I know people who are planning to get on planes to get it in states where. They're not as being they're not being as restrictive about it, but it's they're not being as restrictive in Florida, but they aren't doing, you know, there were all these anecdotal stories about patients or or not patients, elderly people, people age over 65 who were like camping out overnight, hoping that they'd be able to get the vaccine then worrying that they were going to be exposed to COVID by waiting in those lines for so long. So I wouldn't say we've done a great job of of necessarily rolling this out anywhere. There was also talk about how a lot of places it wasn't being administered over the holidays because they weren't working over those holidays, which is a little crazy to think about, too. The one thing, Joe, I didn't understand with these half doses for for Moderna, they'd give them two half dose shots instead of just the first shot because there was all that talk with the Pfizer um, shot of saying, okay, just give them the first shot. Don't worry about the second one coming. That was something Dr. Gottlieb had kind of advocated for. I think you want that back end one, one too, since it's, what, 50 or 60 percent effective. That's the first time I heard that the half dose in those people was just effective. I don't know. Time is is going so quickly uh, that that I'm hoping that all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you want one? I'm I'm in the Kramer County. I hope we have a glove. I hope we get to, to where we have uh, plenty. I, today I was looking at the markets going, it, it, it's a new year, really? Um, it reminded me of the Who song, uh, meet the old boss, uh, same, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Same as, I mean, same uh, as liquidity, the old boss, right. Yeah, liquidity seems to be uh, very, very, you know, there's nothing going on, you know, no constitutional crisis or anything. It's just uh, up 180 points. Hey, what's the big deal, you know? Um, Here we go. And until the markets, uh, and Georgia, 
I, I can't imagine that if it was really going to be a double loss for Republicans, it's hard. There's going to have to be some day of reckoning, I would think. So I don't know what to think. think. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's just wait and see. And, you know, 180 points isn't that much on a percentage basis. But it is a little surprising. No, oh, but you're, um, you're working off of an, a record high that was set right. the last trading day of the year on, on December 31st. So, yeah, right. it's interesting to watch. Not the futures I would have anticipated this morning, given the news either. But uh, we'll see. Joining us right now is former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. In his latest op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, he writes that to speed up vaccine distribution, U.S. pharmacies should take a role, and a very direct role, in getting those shots into arms. Dr. Gottlieb joins us this morning with more. By the way, he currently serves on the boards of both Illumina and Pfizer, and of course, he's also a CNBC contributor. And, and Dr. Gottlieb, let's just start with the numbers. Something like 13 million doses have been distributed to the states, but only something like 4.3 million of those doses have actually made it uh, into patients' arms at this point. What's the slowdown? What's holding things up? Right. And the best way to think about this, in my view, is 40 million doses were made available, um, to my knowledge, in the month of December. Five million doses were injected into people's arms. So for some reason, somewhere, there's 35 million doses sitting on a shelf for various reasons. Um, I think the reality is we created a system with a lot of rules, with a lot of friction, with a lot of top-down control. There's a computer system sitting in the federal government right now that could literally track every single dose of vaccine, how long it's been in refrigeration, and who's eligible to receive it and who's eligible to provide it. And when you, let, you implement that kind of control, that kind of top-down control, you're creating friction in the system that's ultimately going to slow down delivery. I think that there's an imperative to get these vaccines in arms quickly. And we're going to need to give up some control to do that. And we're also going to need to expand eligibility quickly. If we find that the demand among the groups that we want to give the vaccines to isn't as brisk as we would have hoped, and that's what we're finding right now, I think we have an imperative to try to expand eligibility into the groups where the demand is the greatest. And that group happens to be senior citizens. I think if um, commensurate with trying to vaccinate these high-priority groups, and we should do that and have public health departments focused on that, if alongside that we made the vaccine more generally available in the retail channel, Walmart, Walgreens, CVS, other pharmacies, um, based on age, I think you'd find that a lot of the very motivated individuals who will come out and get the vaccine will be among the senior citizens. And right now, every shot in an arm is a win. We should try to get these vaccines out as quickly as possible and not let them sit, sit and get stockpiled on shelves. Uh, agree 100 percent. But if this is the federal government's rules and regulations slowing things down, I thought the, that these were only guidelines for the states, that the states could do what they want. And in fact, in some cases, they already have said that anybody age 65 and up can get them in, in the case of Florida. Yeah, it's really both. I mean, the federal government has imposed rules and then you see states imposing rules. And in states like California and, and New York, they actually you know, created requirements for new certifications and, and, and sanctions and even criminal penalties in some cases. Um, if people are vaccinated out of turn. Uh, so, you know, that's going to just create more wariness among those who are providing these vaccines um, and require more paperwork. It's going to slow things down. You're right that, you know, states have some discretion to implement their own rules, how they distribute these. And you are seeing states starting to distribute them based on age, like Texas and Florida. But even there, they're distributing it through um, mass vaccination sites held at places like auditoriums or convention centers. I still think that if we started to push more of this through the retail channel, uh, places like Walmart know how to create uh, systems online, scheduling systems where people can go online, schedule an appointment. It's not perfect. It's not entirely fair. A lot of senior citizens don't know how to go online and schedule these things. They're going to have to turn to family members. It's going to create some um, unfairness in the system because certain people will have easier access to those systems than others. 
But I don't think that we're going to fully eliminate um, some of those inconveniences at the outset while this is in shortage. And to the extent that there is about maybe 30 million senior citizens right now over the age of 65, maybe 40 million at most, who are really motivated to get the vaccine, we could probably work off that entire population in the month of January if we wanted to. And, and that would be relatively easy to vaccinate those individuals because we know they want it. Going into nursing homes, vaccinating staff, which should have been um, a manageable task and a task where you saw a lot of demand. We're finding only 50 percent in some cases, some cases lower if you talk to the governors of the staff inside nursing homes, which should be a group that would want the vaccine are actually taking it. And so I think as we work into a, work into these other groups during the month of January that CDC is delineated, I suspect that the demand isn't going to be as brisk. And so that's why I think it's a good approach for governors to side by side also make more general availability through the retail channel, because if they find that the demand isn't as brisk in these sort of prioritized groups, they can just push more of the vaccine out through that retail channel. Yeah, Scott, I was uh, concerned, but I'm questioning how concerned you are about the number of people that don't appear to want to take uh, the vaccine, whether you think that's a vaccine hesitancy early on, meaning that they just want to wait a month or two to see other people take it, uh, or whether you think it's, it, it's something else. And the other thing I'm concerned about is whether you think that some of these vaccines are going to go to waste if, if they're not used uh, within the period of time, whether they can stay as cold as they need to be throughout. Well, let's, so let's break down the flu vaccine. Each year, 150 million people about get vaccinated for flu. That's after we have a very hard push. Many people get vaccinated at work, and we make it very convenient for people. About 60 million of those are under the age of 15, so we take them off the table. They're not going to get vaccinated for COVID. That leaves 90 million people. Um, and so that's your low-hanging fruit. That's the people, I think, who would get a COVID vaccine. Some portion of those are very motivated to get a vaccine. Some portion get the flu vaccine each year because it's convenient or they're required to at work. So the demand here, I don't think, is going to be unlimited. Um, there's about 50 million Americans uh, over the age of 65. I think that that group's going to be very motivated to get the vaccine. Some portion of the group younger than that will get, be motivated to get the vaccine. And then beyond that, we're going to have to work at it. We're going to really have to try to encourage people and educate people. But I think given the fact that we're in the throes of really the worst part of this epidemic right now, and we know getting vaccines in arms can be a partial backstop, against continued spread. The imperative should be to get the vaccine in arms that are at highest risk of having a bad COVID outcome and at highest risk of contracting COVID and spreading COVID. But there also is some virtue in just getting vaccines in arms. Um, you're creating more dead ends for the virus. And if we have a group of Americans that we know wants the vaccine very badly and would take it quickly, and also happens to be at high, the highest risk of a bad COVID outcome, and I'm thinking in particular about senior citizens in this country, um, I would just give it to them. I would make it generally available to them to the extent possible while we focus on these prioritized groups. I'm not saying ignore that mission. That's a very important public health mission. But we shouldn't be spending three weeks trying to push the vaccines into arms where you have some reluctance when we know those vaccines are sitting on a shelf and building on a shelf. Just remember one final point. There's 35 million vaccines sitting on the shelf right now. We know 50 million vaccines are going to become available in the month of January. So we're stockpiling maybe as many as two vaccines a day on top of the 35 million. And, you know, the federal government is uh, applauding themselves because they managed to vaccinate half a million people a day in the last three days. You're still building up an inventory each day and a substantial inventory. So we are way behind. How come all these shots are, are sitting on the shelf somewhere? What happened to the other you know, 20 million you're talking about? Well, the federal government held on to more than half of all the doses. Um, they held on to one dose for every dose they administered because they said they want to stockpile the second doses. And then they set, held on to another 5% that they're calling 
this safety stock that I'm not quite sure exactly how it's going to be used. Um, again, I, I come back to what we talked about in the past couple of weeks, which is I don't think you need to be stockpiling all these doses. I think people should be getting the second dose. They should be getting the second dose largely on time. But we can be pushing out more first doses now and be using the future supply that's going to come on the market in the month of January to administer some of those second doses. So you need to stockpile something if you want to make sure there's a smooth transition to the second doses. But putting away 50% of all the doses, um, I think, is denying more people um, access to a vaccine. Now, that said, maybe one of the reasons they stockpiled so much vaccine is because they knew they couldn't distribute it because they managed to cut the cut it in half. They only distributed 45 percent of what they had, and they couldn't even administer that. So had they had they distributed more vaccine to the states, it's not like it would have been administered anyway under the current system. And Scott, really quickly, just this idea that we're hearing now that they'd be giving half doses for Moderna, that it would still be just as effective uh, to people age 18 to 55. Yeah, I mean, that, there, there's some data that suggests that Monsef was on TV this weekend um, talking about that. He's talking about in a younger cohort where you have more immunogenicity from the vaccine. People uh, develop a more robust immune reaction. So, you know, they may move to that. I don't have a lot of insight into the data um, that Moderna has. They just put out top line data around that. I'm sure FDA and Monsef have access to more of the bottom line data and they are able to do a more complete analysis. That would certainly extend the supply. And remember, there's, uh, there's an extra dose in the vials of the Pfizer uh, vaccine as well. And so there's more supply on the market. We talk about 200 million doses. Um, the Pfizer, you can get six, maybe seven doses out of each vial. And if you can cut the Moderna in half, for the younger cohort, you know, that's that's significantly more doses than just the 200 million that we talk about that's going to be available in the first half of the year. Uh, d- doctor, I don't want to dissuade people from from taking the vaccine, but I do want to ask you because there's a lot of uh, an- there's an anti-vax movement, as you know, uh, online and elsewhere, people raising concerns and questions and and pointing out and highlighting examples, uh, at least anecdotally, of circumstances where there was an adverse reaction, especially in uh, a number of older people that ended up having heart attacks or other things, uh, including death. And so the question I, I wanted to just ask you is how to think about uh, those, those, those issues. Uh, in most cases, they, the, the doctors have suggested they're not connected. But of course, you know, you're seeing these, uh, these news stories pop up and people are passing them around. Well, look, I, one of the challenges is that when you vaccinate large groups of people, things happen to people. Uh, if you're going to vaccinate 40,000, 50,000 people, People have heart attacks. People get into car accidents. Um, people have, you know, other illnesses uh, all the time. And sometimes something happens in proximity to a vaccination and you think there's a causal relationship. And in fact, there isn't. And that's why it's important to investigate all of these uh, incidences very thoroughly. But we see this all the time. And I saw this all the time when I was at FDA in data that we received about drugs and in adverse event reports where there was an event that happened in proximity to the administration of some regulated product, but there wasn't a causal relationship. Things, bad things just happen, unfortunately, to people. And when you start to get into these kinds of numbers, um, you start to accrue those kinds of coincidental events. A lot of people now have been vaccinated with this vaccine. There's a lot of longer term follow up data available now. uh, And the safety profile continues to be consistent with what was observed in the clinical trial. But that information is going to be continued to be gathered in the post market. Dr. Gottlieb, thank you. As always, good to see you. Next on Squawk Pod, new year, new you. It's the most popular time for healthy resolutions, eat better, exercise. And WW CEO says they're ready for new clients, even without those in-person meetings. What the pandemic has done is actually acted as an accelerant to what we were already doing and how we were meeting people where they are. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Uh, Happy New Year once again. Happens every uh, January, right? People pledge a commitment to a healthier lifestyle, resolutions, etc. Our next guest uh, helps its members keep their health and wellness goals. Joining us now is Mindy Grossman, CEO of WW International. Come, if, if I ever have... My cholesterol gets out of control. I'm coming straight to you because you know all I ever eat now, Mindy. You know what I eat. I, I, I tell my wife. I can't, I can't even imagine. Eggs are zero. Happy New Year. Hard-boiled eggs are zero. And I got that from you. And, and actually, I can't wait for Becky to be back in studio. She loves uh, when I eat a hard-boiled egg right next to her first thing in the morning. She, she loves that. Anyway, um, didn't you just... Uh, in the, before the pandemic, sort of transition to more face-to-face stuff at Weight Watchers. That, that must have made it tough uh, once a pandemic hit. How has business been? You know, Joe, we entered uh, 2020 with unbelievable momentum. You know, on the heels of launching MyWW, we were on tour. And clearly, when everything shut down, um, what happened was the team did an amazing job of pivoting and really moving all our in-face to virtual. And we've been operating virtual workshops since. But what's really important is the work that they have done over the past year around innovation, partnerships, milestones, and what we're seeing coming into 2021. So we just announced this morning the launch of D360, Digital 360, our first new membership vertical in recent history and it really is around content coaching community and we've seen incredible engagement november 16th we launched my ww plus our first innovation in a non-food program innovation year all around acute personalization and be able to have an assessment to be matched to a program for you And we also recently announced new partnerships, so Sierra and now James Corden. And we hit another milestone being named Best Diet and Best Diet for Weight Loss uh, by U.S. News and World Report. So it really is a testament to all of the innovation that the teams have been working on around 
our digital transformation. And that's what we're seeing coming into 2021. Mindy, some companies that, that were forced to go more digital and, and online more quickly, you, you saw their stocks benefit. I mean, it has been tough uh, for Weight Watchers. I think stocks down uh, was down for 2020. Anyway, w was, the, was it a difficult transition to go uh, more online, more digital? Was it rolled out quickly enough? Is there more work to do? Yeah. Actually, Joe, you know, I was on a year ago, and for the first time, I use the word radical reappraisal. And what the pandemic has done is actually acted as an accelerant to what we were already doing and how we were meeting people where they are. Clearly, there was noise around the workshop transition, uh, but how we're entering 2021 with the work that we've done is really, again, a testament to what our digital transformation has been over that period of time. Will you go, will, will you go back to emphasizing the, the in-person workshops when the vac if, if we get back to normal th after the vaccine, or are you permanently in, in a, a more uh, online uh, stance, would you say? I would answer that question differently. We have now verticals between digital, D360, our virtual and physical workshops where we can have them open and where people choose to go, and our one-on-one -on -one coaching, which that platform is relaunching in 2021 at an even heightened capability. So it really is giving people what they need, and that's more important now than ever. Everyone is doing that radical reappraisal themselves, and we need to meet them where they are and give them choices that are going to work for them. And now with the personalization capabilities that we have, powered by AI, machine learning, et cetera, we can match you with a program that is specific to you and is going to be able to give you a more holistic approach to wellness and ultimately greater weight loss, but built on every single pillar. So even if you look at 2020, um, and what we were able to do in launching sleep, in launching other capabilities, and now yep. with MyWW+, everything is more personalized. And that's what people want, and that's what yep. they're reacting to. Should be a, should be a population that, that, that needs Weight Watchers more than ever after this. I, I know for, for most people, I'm not mentioning any names, uh, but uh, the pandemic has, uh, has added some some weight to the, to the general population. Yeah, look, I, it was, I, I think. So it was critical before. Yeah, um, was. And All it's right. even more so now. I mean, people Definitely. realize that their health is the most important thing, right. especially now that we've experienced COVID. Well, we hope to see you again and, uh, and, and update us. And I'm going to, you know, I love eating those. You gave me carte blanche on the hard-boiled eggs. So I just, you know, eat them whenever I want. Well, you have uh, carte blanche on a lot of things. I need to know those, those things because... No, then I don't have to stop eating. Anyway, thanks. Great to see you. Good to see you. Okay. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening. Make it a healthy habit of the new year and do it every day. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, CNBC.com, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.